Hello and welcome to Glowing Weak Point, the show where we do something very different this time. I'm your host, John, and with me my co-host, Wombat. God, I'm so hungry. I, I never me eat too. before these episodes, and I'm just... We're starting late today, and I'm so hungry. We've started at one, like, the last few weeks. It's been two so. weeks. It's It's been this week and last week, and before then, it was 11. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we got something a little different for you. Uh, we, we recorded a trailer, which you probably already got released to you. Uh, but, you know, we we needed a little bit more, but we also didn't want to go through the hassle of coming up with a bunch of other stuff. So we're cheating this week, and we're going to do a read-through of an entire book. I mean, did you still want to do a glowing weak point? This is glowing weak point. Uh, okay, I guess we can do that. Hey, uh, what's your glowing weak point? Uh, my... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My glowing weak point is kind of like a mediocre weak point, but it's what I want to talk about. Uh, I, 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 I've I've been reading the fifth So I'm a Spider, So What novel, and okay. the book is really, really fantastic whenever it's focused oh. on Kumiko, the spider. <laughs> the problem okay. is that Okinababa, the author, is ambitious. He's too ambitious. He couldn't just be like, I have a funny idea for a story. What if someone died and reincarnated into a fantasy world as a spider? He had to be like, what if the entire class died and reincarnated into the fantasy world and the spider became a monster, but all the others did generic isekai bullshit in every other chapter? <laughs> And it is so boring whenever you're reading. And also, also, whenever you're reading that shit, it's almost always a flash forward. Like, it takes place, like, 16, 17 years in the future from when the spider shit is happening. So, it, yeah. it, it has no direct bearing on what is occurring in the spider stuff. At all. And they're just all generic... Awesome anime protag kuns every single one of them all of them sometimes wow. there's a protag chan but Ooh. yeah the most interesting character in that is the 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 girl who was like a high school bully and she got reincarnated as a dragon but then she stopped mm. being interesting when the the main character became the hero and she evolved into a lightworm, which gave her a humanoid form to take. And so now she's just she's just another hot girl running around. But she has wings. And I'm just like, let me let me read the spider shit. She's over there. The spider is in the forest murdering uh, thieves in a forest with just like long range uh, uh, bullshit magic eye attacks. And uh, the thieves, the thieves are all actually spies from neighboring countries and and, and religious sects and, and elves. And it, it, let me read that. Okay. Okay. So uh, I I have two this week. I have I have two. One is that I uh, I finally finished 
rebuilding my craft room. It's the what I've been working on the past month, month and a half even, uh, putting in the new closet and and then like reorganizing everything. And it's now so nice and clean, and everything has a place. And I actually got to like clear off the the craft table and do a puzzle, which was fun. I like little puzzles. Um, then the other thing is I have been going back. I know it's, it's my rule that I don't go back and rewatch anime or I guess I don't go back and watch anime people tell me about, but this is, this is rewatching shit cause I've seen it all already. Uh, but my wife hasn't. And so I went through, uh, the Funimation and Crunchyroll lists of all the anime, uh, anime that they have. At first, I went through Funimation because you can watch Funimation stuff without having an account. You just have ads, yeah. which the ads are horrible. Enjoy that the, for the ads three are terrible. weeks. Yeah. Um, well, because I don't think... I, my understanding is that the move to Funim- to Crunchyroll from Funimation is uh, the simulcasts. But like, if you want to watch their old stuff, you still have to do it through Funimation. I think for now, I, I think... I think it's a gradual thing, and it's going to eventually be just all on Crunchyroll. That would be nice. Uh, because I went through and I, I put, like, 20 anime into the Funimation, like, watch list. Because I was like, man, this is great. And, like, I looked through Crunchyroll and I didn't see these. So I did that. Now I put so many anime in there and then i went over to crunchyroll and i was like well i wonder what's in here because i didn't see everything in there and then i saw 90 percent of the anime that i had put into the watch list in funimation <laughs> so i just went back and i removed them all from funimation i put them into crunchyroll which i actually have an account for so no ads yay um and then that basically left it with like three super old anime uh like uh, Astro Boy is not on Crunchyroll. And I figure, like, I should probably see that at some point. It is monumental to the history of anime. But the main one was Trigun, which is only on Funimation. Oh, uh, I watched, like, and half of that at one point. It was pretty good. I really liked I really liked Trigun, and I have started watching it with my wife, like, four times um but we always that was before we were married and it was always just hard to get together and watch things um the main thing i remember is the character who walks around dragging a coffin behind him it's a cross is it a cross see i don't even remember it that well i thought it was a coffin it's a cross and it's it's a super fucking cool weapon uh (laughs) but yeah yeah there's there's that um and but mostly we've been watching a little bit of trigon it's hard to because the ads make it toxic (laughs) um but we've also been watching the um uh rascal dreams of bunny girl senpai okay that's fantastic is a it is a fantastic anime and i i remembered loving it so uh (laughs) now watching it with my wife she's also loving it a lot of which because we have the exact same dry humor as everyone in the show. Right. It's not one of those like so, laugh out loud shows. It's like watching a bit of Fry and Lori. Yes. And we love that because <laughs> it really is exactly our humor. Um, 
And then, of course, still watching uh, Sword Art Online. We're in the second half of season two. Core four, I guess. <laughs> Wait, which one is is that? Gun Gale? No, Gun Gale's core three. Uh, this is the Asuna one. Oh, okay. See, I yeah. forgot that one existed. This... Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so what are we doing today, John? Today we are going to read The Eye of Argon by Jim Tice. I only just learned how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Spelled Thee-is. Uh, this is um, a classic fantasy novel, so we... we novella. We want you to... Novella, thank you. We just want you to sit back, relax. We'll we'll trade off as as things go, and and um, so you won't just be listening to my voice the whole time. Um, but I I hope you enjoy, and uh, see you at the end. Chapter one: The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climes of the barren land, which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire age-worn hoofprints smothered by the sifting sands of time shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of earth. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead, halfway through its daily revolution. Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. Dust sprayed over three heaving mounts in blinding clouds while they bore the burdensome cargoes of their struggling overseers. Prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian haunts of hell, barbarian, gasped the first soldier. Only you have ki- after you have kissed the fleeting stead of death, wretch, returned Grignir. A sweeping blade of flashing steel riveted from the massive barbarian's hide-enameled shield as his rippling right arm thrust forth, sending a steel-shod blade to the hilt into the soldier's vital organs. The disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sward, sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. The enthused barbarian swiveled about, his shock of fiery red hair tossing robustly in the humid air currents as he faced the attack of the defeated soldier's fellow-in-arms. "'Damn you, barbarian!' shrieked the soldier as he observed his comrade in death. A gleaming scimitar smote a heavy blow against the renegade's spiked helmet, bringing a heavy cloud over the accordion's misted brain." Shaking off the effects of the pounding blow to his head, Grignir brought down his scarlet-streaked edge against the soldier's crudely forged hauberk, clanging harmlessly to the left side of his opponent. The soldier's stead whinnied as he directed the horse back from the driving blade of the barbarian. Grignir leashed his mount forward as the hoarsely piercing battle cry of his wilderness-bred race resounded from his grinding lungs. A twirling blade bounced harmlessly from the mighty thief's buckler as his rolling right arm cleft upward, sending a foot of blinding steel ripping through the Cimmerian's exposed gullet, a gasping gurgle from the soldier's writhing mouth as he tumbled to the golden sand at his feet and wormed agonizingly in his deathbed.
Grigner's emerald green orbs glared lustfully at the wallowing soldier struggling before his chestnut-swirled mount. His scowling voice reverberated over the dying form in a tone of mocking mirth. You city-bred dogs should learn not to antagonize your better. Reining his weary mount ahead, Grigner resumed his journey to the Noregolian city of Gorzam, hoping to discover wine, women, and adventure to boil the wild blood coursing through his savage veins. The trek to Gorzum was forced upon Grignir when the soldiers of Kryn were leashed upon him by a faithless concubine he had wooed. His scandalous activities throughout the Sumerian city had unleashed throngs of havoc and uproar among its refined patricians, leading them to tack a heavy reward over his head. He had barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn he had been guzzling in as a squad of soldiers tounced upon him. After spilling a spout of blood from the leader of the mercenaries as he dismembered one of the officer's arms, he retreated to his mount to make his way towards Gorzom, rumored to contain hordes of plunder and many young winches for any man who has the backbone to wrest them away. Chapter 2 Arriving after dusk in Gorzom, Grignir descended down a dismal alley, reining his horse before a beaten tavern. The red-haired giant strode into the dimly-lit hostelry reeking of foul odors and cheap wine. The air was heavy with chalking fumes, spewing from smoldering torches encased within Thedon's earthen-packed walls. Tables were clustered with groups of drunken thieves, and cutthroats tossing dice or making love to willing prostitutes. Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grignir advanced wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence, dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice, her stringy orchard twines of hair swaying gracefully over the lithe, opaque nose as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red lips. Glancing upward, the alluring complexion noted the stalwart giant as he rapidly approached. A faint glimmer sparked from the pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned toward Grignir, enticing him to join her. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, exposing his body, naked save for a loincloth brandishing a long steel broadsword, an iron spiraled battle helmet, and a thick leather sandals to her unobstructed view. Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian, questioned the female. Only if something worth offering is within my reach, stated Grignir, as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female, who welcomed them with open willingness. From where do you come, barbarian, and by what are you called? gasped the complying wench, as Grignir smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive female, pulling her towards him and crushing her sagging nipples to his yearning chest. Without struggle, she gave in, winding her soft arms around the harshly bronzed hide of Grignia corded shoulder blades as his calloused hands caressed her firm, <laughs> protruding busts. You make love well, wench, admitted Grignir as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. 
A flying foot caught the mug Grigonir had taken hold of, sending its blood-red content sloshing over a flickering crescent. Leashing tongues of bright orange flame to the foot-trodden floor. Remove yourself, sir! The witch belongs to me! Blabbered a drunken soldier, too far consumed by the influences of his virile brew to take note of the superior size of his adversary. Grignir lithely bounded from the startled female, his face lit up to an ashen red ferocity, and eyes locked in a searing feral blaze toward the swaying soldier. To hell with you, braggart! bellowed the angered accordion as he hefted his finely honed broadsword. The staggering soldier clumsily reached towards the pommel of his dangling sword, but before his hands ever touched the oaken hilt, a silvered flash was slicing the heavy air. The thews of the savage's lashing right arm bulged from the glistening bronzed hide as his blade bit deeply into the soldier's neck, loping off the confused head of his senseless tormentor. <laughs> With a nauseating thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor as the segregated torso of Grignir's bovine antagonist swayed, then collapsed in a pool of swirled crimson. In the confusion, the soldier's fellows confronted Grignir with unsheathed cutlasses, directed toward the latter's scowling makeup. The slut should have picked his quarry more carefully! roared the victor in a mocking baritone growl as he wiped his dripping blade on the prostrate form and returned nice. it to its scabbard. The fool should have shown more prudence. However, you shall rule your actions while rotting in the pits, stated one of the sprawled soldier's comrades. Grignia's hand began to remove his blade from its leather housing, but retarded the motion in face of the blades waving before his face. Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian, or you shall find a foot of steel sheathed in your gizzard. Grignir weighed his position, observing his plight, whereupon he took the soldier's advice as the only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring upon his own demise, if an alternate path presented itself. The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors in which he could effect a more plausible means of escape. You may steady your arms. I will go without a struggle. Your decision is a wise one. Yet perhaps you would have been better off had you forced death. The soldier's mouth wrinkled to a sadistic grin of knowing mirth as he prodded his prisoner on with his sword point. After an ind indiscriminate period of marching through slinking alleyways and dim moonlighted streets, the procession confronted a massive seraglio. The palace area was surrounded by an iron grating with a lush garden upon all sides. The group was admitted through the gilded gateway, and Grignia was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation lustfully enhanced by the moon's shimmering rays. Upon reaching the palace, the group was granted entrance, and after several minutes of explanation, led through several winding corridors to a richly draped chamber. Confronting the group was a short, stocky man seated upon a gold throne. 
Tapestries of richly draped regal blue silk covered all walls of the chamber, while the steps leading to the throne were plated with sparkling white ivory. The man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms, and a trusted advisor seated in back of him. At each corner of the chamber, a guard stood at attention, with upraised pikes supported in their hands, golden chainmail adorning, adorning their torsos, and barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes enshrouding their heads. The man rose from his throne to the dais surrounding it. His plush turquoise robe dangled loosely from his chunky frame. The soldiers surrounding Grignia fell to their knees with heads bowed to the stone masonry of the floor in fearful dignity to their sovereign, Liege. Explain the purpose of this intrusion upon my chateau! Your sirenity, resplendent in noble grandeur, we have brought this yokel before you, the soldier gestured toward Grignia, for the redress or your all-knowing wisdom in judgment regarding his fate. Down on your knees, lout, and pay proper homage to your sovereign, commanded the pudgy noble of Grignia. By the surly beard of Mrithk, Grignia kneels to no man, scowled the massive barbarian. You dare to deal this blasphemous act to me? You are indeed brave, stranger, yet your valor smacks of foolishness. I find you to be the only fool, sitting upon your pompous throne, enhancing the rolling flabs of your belly in the midst of your elaborate luxury and... The soldier standing at Grignia's side smote him heavily in the face with the flat of his sword, cutting short the harsh words and knocking his battered helmet to the masonry with an echoing clang. The paunchy noble's sagging round face flushed suddenly pale, then pastily lit up to a lustrous cherry-red radiance. His lips trembled with malicious rage, while emitting a muffled sibilant gibberish. His sag sagging flabs rolled like a tub of upset jelly, <laughs> then compressed as he sucked in his gut in an attempt to conceal his softness. The prince regained his statue, then spoke to the soldiers surrounding Grigdir, <laughs> his face conforming to an ugly expression of sadistic humor. Take this uncouth heathen to the fault of misery, and be sure that his agonies are long and drawn out before death can release him. As you wish, sire, your command shall be heeded immediately answered the soldier on the right of Grignir as he stared into the barbarian's seemingly unaffected face. The advisor seated in the back of the noble slowly rose and advanced to the side of his master, motioning the wenches seated at his sides to remove themselves. He lowered his head and whispered to the noble, Eminence, the punishment you have decreed will cause much misery to this scum, yet it will last only a short time, then release him to a land beyond the sufferings of the human body. Why not mellow him in one of the subterranean vaults for a few days, then send him to life labor in one of your buried mines? To one such as he, a life spent in the confinement of the Stygian pits will be an infinitely more appropriate and lasting torture." 
The noble cupped his drooping double chin in the folds of his briming palm, meditating for a moment upon the rationality of the counselor's words, then raised his shaggy brown eyebrows and turned toward the advisor, eyes aglow. As always, Agafond, you speak with great wisdom. Your words ring of great knowledge concerning the nature of one such as he, saith the king. The noble turned toward the prisoner with a noticeable shimmer reflecting in his frog-like eyes, and his lips contorting to a greasy grin. I have decided to void my previous decree. The prisoner shall be removed to one of the palace's underground vaults. There he shall stay until I have decided that he has sufficiently simmered, whereupon he is to be allowed to spend the remainder of his days at labor in one of my mines. Upon hearing this, Grigner realized that his fate would be far less merciful than death to one such as he, who is used to roaming the countryside at will. A life of confinement would be more than his body and mind could stand up to. This type of life would be immeasurably worse than death. I shall never understand the ways of your, if your twisted civilization. I simply defend my honor and am condemned to life confinement by a pig who sits on his royal ass, wooing whores, and knows nothing of the affairs of the land he imagines to rule. Lectures Grignia? Enough of this! Away with the slut before I lose my control! Seeing the peril of his position, Grignia searched for an opening. Crushing prudence to the sward, he plowed it into the soldier at his left arm, taking hold of his sword, and bounding to the dais, supporting the prince before the startled guards could regain their composure. Agafond leaped Grignir and his sire, but found a sword blade permeating the length of his ribs before he could loose his weapon. The counselor slumped to his knees as Grignir slid his crimson blade from Agafond. Agusen's rib cage. The fat prince stood undulating in insurmountable fear before the edge of the fiery maned comet, his flabs of jellied blubber pulsating to and fro in ripples of flowing terror. Where's your wisdom and power now, your majesty? growled Grignir. The prince went rigid as Grignir discerned him, glazing over his shoulder. He slaved to note the cause of the noble's attention, raised his sword over his head, and prepared to leash a vicious downward cleft, but fell short as the haft of a steel-rhymed pike clashed against his unguarded skull. Then blackness and solitude. Silence, enshrouding, and ever peaceful, reigned supreme. Before me, sirrah! Before me as always! Ha! Ha ha! Ha <laughs> ha! Nobly cackled. John, you're telling me that at no point was that did I do too much and you had to take over? <laughs> uh, no, you you didn't you didn't ever laugh. <laughs> you you stumbled you stumbled a little bit at one point, but uh. To to be fair, that last one. Like, I'd gotten used to the dumbass bullshit way that Agafond was spelled, and yeah, then all and, of a sudden the A is gone. Just, 
<laughs> and it's like, is yeah. this Welsh? <laughs> Chapter 3. Consciousness returned to Grignir in stigmatic pools as his mind gradually cleared of the cobwebs cluttering its inner recesses. Yet the Stygian cloud of charcoal ebony remained, an incompatible shield of blackness enhanced by the bleak absence of sound. <laughs> Grignir's muddled brain reeled from the shock of the blow he had received to the back of his skull. The events leading to his predicament were slow to filter back to him. He dickered with the notion that he was dead and had descended or sunk, however it may be, to the shadowed land beyond the, the aperture of the grave, but rejected this hypothesis when his memory sifted back within his grips. This was not the land of the dead. It was something infinitely more precarious than anything the grave could offer. Death promised an infinity of peace, not the finite misery of an inactive life of confined torture, forever concealed from the life-bearing shafts of the beloved rising sun, the orb that had been before taken for granted, yet now cherished above all else. To be forever refused further glimpses of the snow-capped summits of the land of his birth, never again to witness the thrill of plundering unexplored lands beyond the crest of a bleeding horizon, and perhaps worst of all, the denial to ever again encompass the lustful excitement of caressing the naked curves of the body of a trim, yound winch. <laughs> <laughs> this was indeed one of the buried chasms of hell concealed within the inner depths of the palace's despised interior, a fearful ebony chamber devised to drive to the brinks of insanity the minds of the unfortunately condemned through the inapt solitude of a limbo of listless, dreary silence. Chapter Three and a Half <laughs> A tightly rung elliptical circle, or torches, cast their wavering shafts. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> oh, really? What got you? <laughs> Just thinking about it. elliptical circle or torches. <laughs> that got you? <laughs> that got me. Trim yound when she didn't got me. get you. <laughs> <laughs> and here you were talking about oh yeah I can probably read this whole thing without laughing <laughs> uh yeah I probably could've but I didn't <laughs> but you didn't alright I guess it's my turn let's see if I can make it through elliptical circle or torches I guess start at the beginning since we're that close. A tightly rung elliptical circle or torches cast their wavering shafts prancing morbidly over the smooth surface of a rectangular ridged altar. Expertly chiseled forms of grotesque gargoyles grace the oblique rim protuberating the length of the grim orifice of death. <laughs> Staring forever ahead into nothingness in complete ignorance of the bloody rites enacted in their presence. Brown flaking stains decorated the golden surface of the ridge surrounding the altar, which bent to a small slit at the lower right-hand corner of the altar. The slit stood above a crudely pounded pail, which had several silver-meshed chalices hanging at its sides. 
dangling at the rim of golden mallet, the handle of which was engraved with images of twisted faces and groved at its far end (laughs) with slots designed for a snug hand grip. The head of the mallet was slightly larger than a clenched fist and shaped into a smooth oval mass. Encircling the marble altar was a congregation of leering shaman. Eerie chants of a bygone age, originating unknown eons before the memory of man, were being uttered from the buried recesses of the acolyte's deep lings. Orange paint was smeared in generous globules over the tops of Thu priests' wrinkled shaven scalps, while golden rings projected from the lobes of their pink ears. Ornate robes of lusure purple satin enclosed their bulging torsos. Attached around their waists, with silvered silk lashes, latched with ebony buckles in the shape of morose, misshaped skulls. Dangling around their necks were oval-fashioned medallions held by thin gold chains, featuring in their centers blood-red rubies, which resembled crimson fetish eyeballs. Cushioning their bare feet were plush red felt slippers with pointed gold spikes projecting from their That's tips. That's a fetish I don't have. Situated in front of the altar and directly adjacent to the copper pail was a massive jade idol, a misshaped hideous bust of the shaman's pagan deity. Deity. Pagan Deity. Pagan diet. The shimmering green idol was placed in a sitting posture on an ornately carved golden throne, raised upon a round, divery plated dais. Its bulging arms and webbed hands resting on the padded arms of the seat. Its head was entwined in golden snake-like coils, hanging over its oblong ears, which tappered off to thin hollow points. Its nose was a bulging triangular mass, sunken in at its sides, with tau-gaping nostrils. (laughs) Dramatic beneath the nostrils was a twisted, shaggy-lipped mouth, giving the impression of a slavering, sadistic grimace. At the foot of the heathen deity, a slender, pale-faced female, naked but for a golden, jeweled harness, enshrouding her huge, outcropping breasts, supporting long silver laces which extended to her thigh, stood before the pearl-white field with noticeable shivers traveling up and down the length of her exquisitely molded body. Her delicate lips trembled beneath soft, narrow hands as she attempted to conceal herself from the piercing stare of the ambivalent idol. Glaring directly down towards her was the stony, cycloptic face of the bloated deity. Gaping from its single obling socket was scintillating many faceted scarlet emerald, a brilliant gem seeming to possess a life all of its own, a priceless, priceless gleaming stone capable of domineering the wealth of conquering empires, the eye of our god. God, John. <laughs> Just, I wish he would stop with all the adjectives. <laughs> there are quite a few of them. 
There are quads, <laughs> and they they have a lot of consonants. This this book would be a pamphlet if it weren't for all the adjectives. <laughs> Chapter four. All knowledge of measuring time had escaped Grignir. When a person is deprived of the sun, moon, and stars, he loses all conception of time as he had previously understood it. It seemed as if years had passed, if time were being measured by terms of misery and mental anguish. Yet he estimated that his stay had only been a few days in length. He has slept three times and had been fed five times since his awakening in the crypt. Well, at least they're feeding him. However, when the actions of the body are restricted, its needs are also affected. The need for nourishment and slumber are directly proportional to the functions the body has performed, <laughs> meaning that when free and active, Grignir may become hungry every six hours and witness the desire for sleep every 15 hours, whereas in his present condition, he may encounter the need for food every 10 hours and the want for rest every 20 hours. All methods he had before depended upon were extinct in the dismal pit. Hence, he may have been imprisoned for ten minutes or ten years he did not know, resulting in a disheartened emotion deep within his being. The food, if you can honor the moldering lumps of fetid mush to that extent, was borne to him by two guards who opened a portal at the top of his enclosure and shoved it to him in wooden bowls, retrieving the food and water bowls from his previous meal at the same time, Bowels. after which they threw... <laughs> Retrieving the food and water bowels from his previous meal at the same time, after which they threw back the bolts on the iron latch and returned to their other duties. Since deprived of all other means of nourishment, Grigner was impelled to eat the tainted slop in order to ward off the pangs <laughs> of starvation, though as he stuffed it into his mouth with his filthy fingers and struggled to force it down his throat, he imagined it was that which had been spurned by the hounds stationed at various segments of the palace. There was little in the barren vault that could occupy his body or mind. He had paced out the length and width of the enclosure time and time again, and tested every granite slab which consisted the walls of the prison in hopes of finding a hidden passage to freedom, all of which was to no avail other than to keep him busy and distract his mind from wandering to thoughts of what he believed was his future. He had memorized the number of strides from one end to the other of the cell, and knew the exact number of slabs which made up the bleak dungeon. Numerous schemes were introduced, and alternately discarded in turn as they suckered to unravel to him no means of escape what? which stood the slightest chance of su success. Suckered? Anguish continued to mount as his means of occupation were rapidly exhausted. Suddenly, with no tithe, he was, was shrouded from his contemplations as he detected a faint scratching sound at the end of the crypt opposite him. The sound seemed to be caused by something trying to scrape away at the grand height blocks the floor of the enclosure consisted of, the sandy scratching of something like an animal's claws. Grigner gradually groped his way to the other end of the vault, carefully feeling his way along his, with his hands ahead of him. 
when a few inches from the wall, a loud, penetrating squeal and the scampering of small padded feet reverberated from the walls of the roughly hewn chamber. Gregner threw his hands up to shield his face and flung himself backwards upon his buttocks. A fuzzy form bounded to his hairy chest, burying its talons in his flesh while gnashing towards his throat with its grinding white teeth, its sour, fetid breath scorching the skirming barbarian's dilating nostrils. Grignir grappled with the lashing flexor muscles of the repugnant body of a gargantuan, brown-eyed rat striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular as its beady gray organs of sight glazed into the flaring emeralds of its prey. Taking a hold of the rodent around its lean, growling stomach with both hands, Grignir pried it from his crimson-rent breast, removing small patches of flayed flesh from his chest and the motion between the squalid black claws of the starving beast. Holding the rodent at arm's length, he cupped his right hand over its frothing face, contracting his fingers into a vice-like fist over the quivering head. Retaining his grips on the rat, Grignir flexed his outstretched arms while slowly twisting his right hand clockwise and his left hand counterclockwise motion. The rodent let out a tortured squall, drawing scarlet as it violently dug its foam-flecked fangs into the barbarian's sweating palm, causing his face to contort to an ugly grimace as he cursed beneath his braith. With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso, sending out a sprinkling shower of crimson gore and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebra, snapped trachea, esophagus, and jugular, disjointed hyoid bone, morose purpled stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles. Flinging the broken body to the floor, Grignir shook his blood-streaked hands and wiped them against his thigh until dry, then wiped the blood that had showered his face and from his eyes. Again, sitting himself upon the jagged floor, he prepared to once more revamp his glum meditations. He told himself that as long as he still breathed the gust of life through his lungs, hope was not lost. He told himself this, but found it hard to comprehend in his gloomy surroundings. Yet, he was still alive, his bulging sinews at their peak of marvel, his struggling mind floating in a myrrhal of impressed excellence of thought. Plot after plot sifted through his mind in energetic contemplations. Then it hit him. Minutes may have passed in silent thought, or days, he could not tell, but he stumbled at last upon a plan that he considered as holding a slight margin of plausibility. He might die in the attempt, but he knew that he would not submit without a final bloody struggle. It was not a foolproof plan, yet it built up a store of renewed vortexed energy in his overwrought soul. Though he might perish in the execution of the escape, he would still be escaping the life of infinite torture in store for him. Either way, he would still cheat the gloating prince of the suckered revenge his sadistic mind craved so dearly. The guards would soon come to bear him off to the prince's buried mines of dread, giving him the sought-after opportunity to execute his newly formulated plan. Groping his way along the rough floor, Grignir finally found his tool in a pool of congealed gore, the carcass of the decapitated rodent, the tool that the very filth he had been sentenced to spawned. 
when the time came for the action, he would have to be prepared. So he set himself to rending the sticky hulk in grim silence, searching by the touch of his fingertips for the lever to freedom. It's all you. I just don't know how you read through most of that without laughing. <laughs> uh. this, this book is seven chapters long. Yes. And one chapter of it is dedicated to him killing a rat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> chapter five. Up to the altar and be done with it, wench, ordered a fidgeting shaman as he gave the female a grim stare accompanied by the wrinkling of his lips to a mirthful grin of delight. The girl burst into a slow, steady whimper, stooping shakily to her knees and cringing woefully from the priest with both arms wound snake-like around the bulging jade jade shin rising before her scantily attired figure her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears spouting from her glassy dilated eyeballs with short heavy footfalls the priest approached the female his piercing stare never wavering from her quivering young countenance Halting before the terrified girl, he projected his arm outward and motioned her to arise with an upward movement of his hand. The girl's whimpering increased slightly, and she sunk closer to the floor rather than arising. The flickering torches outlined her trim build with a weird, ornate glow as it cast a ghostly shadow dancing in horrid waves of splendor over smoothly worn whiteness of the marble-hewn altar. The shaman's lips curled back further, exposing a set of blackened, decaying molars, which transformed his slovenly grin into a wide, greasy arc of sadistic mirth, and alternately interposed into the female a strong sensation of stomach-curdling nausea. "'Have it as you will, female!' gloated the enhanced priest as he bent over at the waist, projecting his ape-like arms forward and clasped the female's slender arms with his hairy, round fists. With an inward surge of his, bi of, of his biceps, he harshly jerked the trembling girl to her feet and smothered her salty, wet cheeks with the moldy touch of his decrepit, dull red lips. The vile stench of the shaman's hot, fetid breath overcame the nauseated female with a deep soul-searing sickness, causing her to wrench her head backwards and regurgitate a slimy, orange-white stream of swelling gore over the richly woven purple robe of the enthused acolyte. The priest's lips trembled with a malicious rage as he removed his callous paws from the girl's arms and replaced them with tightly around her undulating neck, shaking her violently to and fro. The girl gasped a tortured groan from her clamped lungs, her sea-blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets. Cocking her right foot backwards, she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon possessed, lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's testicles. The startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist overlooking his recessed belly. Wide open in a deep, deep chasm, 
His face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson, eyelids fluttering wide with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered wildly about allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth as his breath billowed from burning lungs. His hands reached out clutching his urinary gland, as his knees wobbled <laughs> rapidly about for a few seconds. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> How does one clutch their urinary gland? Wow. <laughs> I made it through all of that. I lost the point of the sentence in the last one because of all the fucking adjectives. <laughs> I was just reading words. <laughs> Alright, John. His hands reached out, clutching his urinary gland as his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony. The pathetic screeches of the shaman groveling in dejected misery upon the hand-hewn granite-laid pavement, worn smooth by countless hours of arduous sweat and toil, a welter of ichor oozing from his clenched hands, attracted the perturbed attention of his comrades from their fetid elations. The actions of this, this rebellious wench bespoke the credence of an unheard of sacrilege. Never before in a lost maze of untold eons had a chosen one dared to demonstrate such blasphemy in the face of the cult's idolic deity. The girl cowered in unreasoning terror, helpless in the face of the emblazoned acolyte's rage, her orchid-tussled face smothered betwixt her bulging bosom as she shut her curled lashed tightly, hoping to open them and find herself awakening from a morbid nightmare. Yet the hand of destiny decreed her no such mercy. The antagonized pack of leering shaman converged tensely upon her prostrate form were entangled all too lividly in the grim web of reality. Shuddering from the clammy touch of the shaman as they grappled with her supple form, hands wrenching at her slender arms and legs in all directions, her bare body being molested in the midst of a lab of orange smudges, purpled satin, and mangled skulls shadowed in an eerie crimson glow. Her confused head reeled, then clouded in a midst, mist of enshrouding ebony as she lapsed beneath the protective sheet of unconsciousness to a land peach and resign. John, I have to stop for the a second. Fuck does that I have mean? to stop. I don't understand if this is a rape scene or if they're just trying to take her somewhere. Me either. I also don't know. I, I feel like it's rape -y. It's very rape-y, but I, I feel like that's just because of all the adjectives he's using and his constant need to sexualize this unnamed woman. Yes. <laughs> it's... She's probably like 13 or it's something. So too. Like, it's so gross. It's endlessly yeah. gross. Like, why does, her, why does her form have to be supple while a bunch of creepy old dudes are grappling with her? <laughs> because uh, Jim Tice has to be another name for Terry Goodkind. <laughs> it has to be, right? They're the same person. 
Jim Jim Tice didn't die. He just changed his it changed his name. Yeah. Chapter six. Take hold of this rope, said the first soldier, and climb out from your pit, slut. Your presence is requested in another far deeper hellhole. Grignia slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small opaque object. It was at this time that my dog's barking became unbearable, and I had to go resolve that situation. So, forgive the rough edit right here. I cannot believe this is the first episode I'm going to have to actually listen to in weeks to edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely Yeah, <laughs> This is the one. All the others, I could just look at the wavelength and be like, oh, there's a place to cut. This one, I have to listen. I have to listen to fucking yep. Grignir over and over. <laughs> also, I just realized they're calling Grignir a slut. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, which I, I, I really appreciate. I like the fact that they're calling him a slut yeah. constantly. <laughs> so far, he is the only slut. This is this is actually true. Wait, it's wait, just wait, so no. weird. <clears throat> it's it's not just him that's a slut. I think he called... He called uh, the noble a slut. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that also made sense because there and were the, naked women by his side for no reason. Yeah. His majesty. <laughs> Starting the second chapter, or second um, paragraph. Grignia slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small opaque object beneath the folds of the G-string wrapped about his waist. Brine wells swelled in Grignir's cold, jade-squinting eyes, which, grown accustomed to the gloom of the Stygian pools of ebony engulfing him, were bedazzled and blinded by flickering radiance cast forth by the second soldier's resin torch. Tightly gripped in the second soldier's right hand, opposite the intermittent torch, was a large double-edged axe, a long leather-wound oaken handle transfixing the center of the weapon's iron head. Adorning the torsos of both of the sentries were thin yet sturdy hauberks, the breastplates of which were woven of tightly hemmed twines of reinforced silver braiding. Cupping the soldiers' feet were thick leather sandals, wound about their shins to two inches below their knees. Wrapped about their waists were wide satin girdles, with slender bladed poniards dangling loosely from them, the hilts of which featured scarlet encrusted gems. Resting upon the manes of their heads and reaching midway to their brows were smooth copper morions, spiraling the lower portion of the helmet were short upcurved silver spikes while a golden hump spired from the top of each bassinet beneath their chins wound around their necks and draping their clad shoulders dangled regal purple satin cloaks which flowed midway to the soldiers feet hand over hand Feet braced against the dank walls of the enclosure, huge Grignir ascended from the moldering depths of the forlorn abyss, 
His swelled limbs, stiff due to the boredom of a timeless inactivity, compounded by the mu musty atmosphere and jagged granite protuberin against his body, craved for action. The opportunity now presenting itself served the purpose of oiling his rusty joints and honing his dulled senses. He braced himself, facing the second soldier. The sentry's stature was, was wildly exaggerated in the glare of the <laughs> flickering crescent cuppocks in his right fist. His eyes were wide open and a slightly slanted owlish glaze, enhanced in their sinister intensity by the hawk-bill curve of his nose and pale yellow peak of his cheeks. Place your hands behind your back said the second soldier as he raised his axe over his right shoulder blade and cast it a wavering glance. We must bind your wrists to parry any attempts at escape. Be sure to make the knot a stout one, Broig. We wouldn't want our guest to take leave of our guidance. Broig grasped Grigna's left wrist and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. Grignir wrenched his right arm free and swilveled to face Broig. Reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grignir's right arm swept to his gorge. The soldier went limp, his bobbing eyes rolling beneath fluttering eyelids, a deep welt across his spouting gullet. Without lingering to observe the result of his efforts, Grignir dropped to his knees, the second soldier's axe cleft over Grignir's head in a blizz of silvered ferocity, severing several scarlet locks from his scalp. Coming to rest in his fellow's stomach, the iron head crashed through mail and flesh with splintering force, spilling a pool of crimsoned entrails over the granite paving. Before the sentry could wrench his axe free from his comrade's carcass, he found Grignia's massive hands clasped about his throat, choking the life from his clamped lungs. With a zealous grunt, the accordion flexed his tightly corded biceps, forcing the grim-faced soldier to one knee. The sentry plunged his right fist into Grignia's face, digging his grimy nails into the barbarian's flesh. Ejaculating a curse through rasping teeth, Grignir surged the bulk of his weight forward, bowling the besieged soldier over upon his back. The sentry's arms collapsed to his thigh, shuddering convulsively, his bulging eyes staring blindly from a bloated, cherry-red face. His thigh. Rising to his feet, Grignir shook the blood from his eyes, ruffling his surly red mane as a brush fire swaying to the nighttime breeze. Stooping over the sp sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grignir retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty bellow of mirth, he once more concealed the tiny object beneath his loincloth, the tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken rodent. Returning his attention toward the second soldier, Grignir turned to the task of attiring his limbs. To move about freely through the dim recesses of the castle would require the grotesque garb of its soldiery. 
utilizing the silence and stealth acquired in the untamed climbs of his childhood, Grignia slink through twisting corridors and winding stairways, lighting his way with the confiscated torch of his dispatched guardian. Knowing where his steps were leading to, Grignir meandered aimlessly in search of an exit from the chateau's dim confines. The wild blood coursing through his veins yearned for the undefiled freedom of the livid wilderness lands. Coming upon a fork in the passage he tricked, treaked, voices accompanied by clinking footfalls discerned to his sensitive ears from the left corridor. Wishing to avoid contact, Grignia veered to the right passageway. If acquisted as to the purpose of his presence, his barbarous accent would reveal his identity, being that his attire was not that of the castle's mercenary troops. In grim silence, Grignia treaded down the dingily lit corridor, a stalking panther creeping warily along on padded feet. After an interminable period of wandering through the dull corridors, no gaps to break the monotony of the cold gray walls, Grignia... Why the voice change? I've started doing the, um... My, my favorite... One of my favorite movies is, uh... Albert Finney's Scrooge. And I've started doing the okay. Father Time character from Albert Finney's Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've started doing. Yeah. I, I can yeah. tell. Where was I? Grignir aspired a small winding stairway. Descending the flight of arced granite slabs to their posterior, Grignir was confronted by a short hallway leading to a tall arched wooden doorway. Halting before the teeming portal portal, Grignir (laughs) rests his shaggy head sideways against the barrier. Detecting no sounds from within, he grasped the looped metal handle of the door. His arms surging with a tremendous effort of bulging muscles, yet the door would not budge. Retrieving his axe from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle, he hefted it in his mighty hands with an apised grunt, and wedging one of its blackened edges into the crack between the portal and its iron-rhymed sill. Bracing his sandaled right foot against the roughly hewn wall, teeth tightly clenched, Grignir appellevered the oaken haft, employing it as a lever whereby to pry open the barrier. The leather... (laughs) The leather-wound hilt bending to its utmost limits of endurance, the massive portal swung open with a grating of snapped latch and rusty iron hinges. Glancing... Do you seriously not laugh there? I'm really trying. (laughs) Glancing about the dust-swirled room in the gloomily dancing glare of his flickering crescent, Grignir eyed evidences of the enclosure being nothing more than a forgotten storeroom. Miscellaneous articles required for the maintenance of a castle were piled in disorganized heaps at infrequent intervals toward the wall opposite the barbarian's piercing stare. Utilizing long, bounding strides, Grignia paced his way over to the mounds of supplies to discover if any articles of value were contained within their midst. Alright, you've got to change this. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. All right, I'll go back. I'll go back to the uh, the original one. 
detecting a faint clinking sound, Grignir sprawled to, sprawled to his left side with the speed of a striking cobra, landing harshly upon his back. Torch and axe loudly clattering to the floor in a morass of sparks and flame. A elm-woven board leaped from collapsed flooring, clashing against the jagged flooring and spewing a shower of orange and yellow sparks over Grignir's startled face. Rising uneasily to his feet, the half-stunned accordion glared down at the gruesome arm of death he had unwittingly sprung. Risk. If not for his keen auditory organs and lighting steeled reflexes, Grignir would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap, a mistake which would have stunted the perusal of longevity of one less agile. A mechanism, similar in type to that of a miniature catapult, was concealed beneath two collapsible sections of granite flooring. The arm of the device was four feet long, boasting razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face, with which it was to skewer the luckless body of its would-be victim. Grignir had stepped upon a concealed catch which released a small metal latch beneath the two granite sections, causing them to fall inward, and thereby loose the spiked arm of death they precariously held in. Oh god, this goes on forever. Yep. Partially out of curiosity and partially out of an inordinate fear of becoming a pincushion for a possible second trap, Grignir plunged his torch into the exposed gap in the floor. The floor of a second chamber stood out seven feet below the glare. Tossing his torch through the aperture, Grignir grasped the side of an adjoining tile, dropping down. Glancing about the room, Grignir discovered that he had descended into the palace's mausoleum. Rectangular stone crypts... Dekinded. Is that how you want to pronounce it? There's no S there. It's not descended. It's dekinded. <laughs> Grignir discovered that he had dekinded into the palace's mausoleum. Rectangular stone crypts cluttered the floor at evenly placed intervals. The tops of the enclosures were plated with thick layers of virgin gold, while the sides were plated with white ivory. At one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time. Featured at the head of each sarcophagus in tarnished silver was an expugnissively carved likeness of its rotting inhabitants. And I imagine it's virgin gold because it's gold that hasn't been mined. It's just it's just gold that existed, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah, that's it's that's never fair. felt the touch of an axe. Yeah, a dingy atmosphere pervaded the air of the chamber, which sealed in the enclosure for an unknown period had grown thick and stale. Intermingling with the curdled currents was the repugnant stench of slowly moldering flesh, creeping ever slowly but surely through minute cracks in the numerous vaults. Due to the embalming of the bodies, their flesh decayed at a much slower rate than is normal, yet the nauseous odor was nonetheless repellent. Towering over Grignir's head was the trap he released. The mechanism of the miniaturized catapult was cluttered with mildew and cobwebs, 
Notwithstanding these relics of antiquity, its efficiency remained unimpinged. To the right of the trap wound a short stairway through a recess in the ceiling, a concealed entrance leading to the mausoleum, for which the catapult had obviously been erected as a silent, relentless guardian. Climbing up the side of the device, Grigonier set to the task of resetting its mechanism. In the e-event that a search was organized, it would prove well to leave no evidence of his presence open to wandering eyes. Besides, it might even serve to dwindle the size of an opposing force. Descending from his perch, Grigonier was startled by a faintly muffled scream of horrified desperation. His hair prickled yawkishly in disorganized clumps along his scalp, as a cold danced along the length of his spinal cord. No moral mortal barrier, human or otherwise, was capable of arousing the numbing sensation of fear inside of Grignia's smoldering soul. However, he was overwrought by the forces of the barbarian's instinctive fear of the supernatural. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe. But the intangible was something distant and terrible. Dim, horrifying tales passed by word of mouth over glimmering campfires and skins of wine had more than once served the purpose of chilling the marrowed core of his sturdy-limbed bones. Yet the scream contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grignir imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit, making Grignir take short, nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sound was issuing. Clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves, Grignir sled the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grinding stone. Another long-drawn cry of terror and infested anguish met the par barbarian, scoring like the shrill piping of a demented banshee, piercing the inner fibers of his superstitious brain with primitive dread, dread, and awe. <laughs> Lots of dread there. Dread, dread. Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a moldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting, the same putrid scent which permeated the entire chamber, though multiplied to a much more concentrated dosage. The shriveled, leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried, flacking flesh offered no resistance, but remained in a fixed position of perpetual vigilance, watching over its dim abode from hollow, gaping sockets. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! Shut the fuck up! Shut up! <laughs> I think that might That count. counts! <laughs> I'm, I, I quit! You can have the rest of the chapter! You can have it! What the fuck? Just shut! Shut the fucking shut up! <laughs> shriveled leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried flacking flesh it's a rotting corpse it's a rotting corpse it's a rotting corpse the rotting corpse offered no that. resistance <laughs> the tortured cries were not coming from the tomb but from some hidden depth below below pulling the reeking corpse from its <laughs> you're right but from some hidden depth below. 
pulling the reeking corpse from its resting place, Grigner tossed it to the floor in a broken, mangled heap. Upon one side of the crypt's bottom was attached a series of tiny hinges while running parallel along the opposite side of a convex railing-like protuberance, laid so as to appear as a part of the interior surface of the sarcophagus. You know, John, Raising... they say that uh, as a writer, you're allowed one narrative exclamation point your entire career. Jim Tice used his here. <laughs> Raising the slab upon its brown hinges, long removed from the gaze of human eyes, Grigner perceived a scene which caused his blood to smolder, not unlike bubbling molten lava. Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth, surfaced marble altar. A pack of gracie-faced shy men clustered around her in a tight, circular formation. Crouched over the girl was a tall, pot-bellied priest, his face dominated by a disgustingly open-mouthed grimace of sadistic glee. Suspended from the acolyte's clenched right hand was a carven, oval-faced mallet, which he waved menacingly over the girl's shadowed face, an incoherent gibberish flowing from his grinning, thick-lipped mouth. In the face of the amorphos, broad bretted female stretched out alluringly before his gaping eyes the universal whim of nature filling a plea of despair inside of his white hot soul grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive giving vent to a hoarse throat rending battle cry grigner plunged into the midst of the startled shaman torch simmering in his left hand and dax twirling in his right hand a gaunt skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol, writhing agonizedly against the hideous image, foam flecking his chalk-white lips. The priest struggled helplessly, the victim of an epileptic seizure. What?! What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, and then, Deus ex and then he had a seizure. <laughs> That's not fair. It just dawned on me out of nowhere. All the while, I was just still thinking, just... shut the fuck up, shut up, shut up, shut the skull-faced priest, is he wearing a skull? What, what? <laughs> uh, I guess right. it's me again. Well, right, it's yours. <laughs> oh. I gotta, oh, I wish I could eat these hot fries, but I have nothing to, to drink them with. I could really use a mm. hot fry right now. Startled by the barbarian's stunning appearance, the chronic fit of their fellow, and the fear that Grignir might be the avant-garde of a conquering force dedicated to the cause <laughs> of destroying their degenerated cult, the Samen momentarily lose their composure. Giving vent to heedless pandemonium, the priests fell easy prey to Grignir's sweeping what? arc of crimson death and maiming destruction. And yeah, they mean a vanguard. Which technically avant-garde 
is it's like the it comes from the term the french term for vanguard but that's not what avant-garde has ever meant it definitely refers to like trends in, in culture and stuff to be on the front line of a trend yeah 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 the acolyte performing the sacrifice took a vicious blow to the stomach, hands clutching vitals and severed spinal cord as he sprawled over the altar. The dicer-anized priests lurched and staggered with split skulls, dismembered limbs, and spewing entrails before the enraged accordion's relentless onslaught. The howless of the maimed and dying reverberated against the walls of the tiny chamber, a chorus of hell-fraught despair, as the granite floor ran red with blood. The entire chamber was encompassed in the heat of raw, savage butchery, as Grignir luxuriated in the grips of a primitive, beastly bloodlust. Presently, all went silent save for the ebbing groans of the sinking shaman and Grignir's heaving breath accompanied by several gusty curses. The well had run dry. No more lambs remained for the slaughter. The rampaging stead of death, having taken of Grignir for the moment, left the barbarian free to the exploitation of his other perusials. Towering over his head was the misshaped image of the cult's hideous deity, Argon. The fantastic size of the idol, in consideration of its being of pure jade, was enough to cause the senses of any man to stagger and reel. Yet thus was not the case for the behemoth. He had paid only casual notice to this incredible fact, while reviting the whole of his attention upon the jewel protruding from the idol's soul socket, its masterfully cut faucets emitting blinding rays of hypnotizing beauty. After all, a man cannot slink from a heavily guarded palace while burdened down by the intense bulk of a squatting statue, providing, of course, that the idol can even be hefted, which in fact was beyond the reaches of Grignir's coursing stamina. On the other hand, the jewel, gigantic as it was, would not present a hindrance of any mean concern. Help me, please, I can make it well worth your while, pleaded a soft, anguish-strewn voice wafting over Grignir's shoulders as he plucked the dull red emerald from its roots. Turning, Grignir faced the female that had lured him into this bloodbath, but whom had become all but forgotten in the heat of the battle. You, ejaculated the accordion in a pleased tone. I thought that I had seen the last of you at the tavern, but verily I was mistaken. Grignir advanced into the grips of the female's entrancing stare, severing the golden chains that held her captive upon the altar's highly polished face of ornamental limestone. As Grignir lifted the girl from the altar, her arms wound dexterously about his neck, soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. Art thou pleased that we have chanced to meet once again? Grignir merely voiced a signed grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing protrusions of his reeking maw. Let us take leave of this wretched chamber. 
stated Grignir as he placed the female upon her feet. She swooned a moment, causing Grignir to give her her support, then regained her stance. Art thou able to find your way through the accursed passages of this castle? Mrifk! Every one of the corridors of this damned place are identical. Aye, I was at one time a slave of Prince Agafim. His clammy touch sent a sour swill through my belly, but my efforts reaped a harvest. I gained the pig's liking whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. It was through this means that I was event that I eventually managed escape of the palace. It was a simple matter to seduce the sentry at the western gate. His trust found him with a dagger thrust his ribs. The wench stated whimsicorackily. <laughs> what were you doing at the tavern whence I discovered you? Asked Grignir as he lifted the female through the opening into the mausoleum. I had sought to lay low from the palace's guards as they conducted their search for me. The tavern was seldom frequented by the palace guards, and my identity was unknown to the common soldiers. It was through the disturbance that you caused that the palace guards were attracted to the tavern. I was dragged away shortly after you were escorted to the palace. Would have been a cool thing to read instead of be told. What are you called by, female? Carthina, daughter of Mincados, Duke of Barwego, whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzom. I was paid as homage to Agafim upon his thirty-eighth year, husked the femme. <laughs> and I am called a barbarian, grunted Grignir in a, dis in a disgusted tone. Aye, the ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted, but what is your calling? She queried, bustily. Grignir of Accordia. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the north. <laughs> <laughs> you lose. You lose. I'm sorry. It's just out of nowhere. They're like, oh, right. This should be like, this is a fantasy story, right? So we should have like, a setting and some lore and shit and maybe this character should have a name and like have a backstory and be interesting and it's like you could have done all this before this is the yeah. end of the book it's chapter six of this seven. is the end of the yeah. book <laughs> man that's unfortunate for you that you got to almost the end of this chapter so that means you have to read the rest of the book <laughs> assuming neither of us laughs at any point Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Noregolian Empire. I have also heard Agafim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges, say I do she. need to point out it's called the Norgolian Empire according to the first sentence of the book, and then they always call it the Noregolian Empire. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, Continue. Where was I? I, my people are not tarnished. Oh, wait, that's Grignir. Uh, <clears throat> I, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native climes. 
After reaching the hidden panel at the head of the stairway, Grigner was at a loss in regard to its operation. His fiercest heaves were as pebbles against burnished armor. Carthana depressed a small symbol included within the elaborate design upon the panel, whereupon it slowly slid into a cleft in the wall. How did you... How did you be, How did you come to be the victim of those crazed shamen? Quested Grigner as he escorted Carthena through the piles of rummage on the left side I of the trap. Quested by Agafim's orders, I was thrust into a secluded cell to await his passing of sentence. By some means, the priests of Argon acquired a set of keys to the cell. They slew the guard placed over me and abducted me to the chamber in which you chanced to come upon the Skostik sacrifice. Their hell-spawned cult demands a sacrifice once every three months upon its full journey through the heavens. They are startled by your unannounced appearance through the fear that you had been sent by Agafim. The prince would surely have submitted them to the most ghastly of tortures if he had ever discovered their faith unfaithfulness to Sargon, his bastard deity. deity. Many of the partakers of the ritual were high nobles and high trustees of the inner palace. Agafim's pitiless wrath would have been unparalleled. They have no more to fear of Agafim now, bellowed Grignir in a deep mirthful tone, a gleeful smirk upon his face. Unparalleled, right? <laughs> I have seen that they were delivered from his vengeance. Engrossed by Carthena's graceful stride and conversation, Grigner failed to take notice of the footfalls rapidly approaching behind him. As he swung aside the arched portal linking the chamber with the quarters beyond, a maddened, bloodlusting screech reverberated from his eardrums. Seemingly utilizing the speed of thought, Grigner swiveled to face his unknown foe. With gaping eyes and widened jaws, Grigner raised his axe above his surely mane, but he was too late. God, I bloodlust after a hamburger. Chapter 7. With wobbling knees and swimming head, the priest that had lapsed into an epileptic seizure rose unsteadily to his feet. While enacting his choking fit in writhing agony, the shaman was overlooked by Grigmir. The barbarian had mistaken the seizure for the death throes of the acolyte, allowing the priest to avoid his stinging blade. The sight that met the priest's inflamed eyes nearly served to sprawl him upon the floor once more. The sacrificial sat it grim, blood-splattered spa silence all around him, broken only by the occasional yelps and howlis of his maimed and butchered fellows. Above his head rose the hideous idol, its empty socket holding the shaman's effurbished, infuriated gaze. His eyes turned to a stony glaze with the realization of the pillage and blasphemy. Due to his high susceptibility following the seizure, the priest was transformed into a raving maniac bent solely upon wreaking vengeance. With lips curled and quivering, a crust of foam dripping from them, the acolyte drew a long, wicked-looking jewel-hilted scimitar from his silver girdle and fled through the aperture in the ceiling, uttering a faintly perceptible ceremonial gibberish. It's a seizure, by the way. Let me see where. 
following the seizure, the priest was transformed. Oh, is that one of the weird words? See, I was following I before E. Yeah, it, it's I before E except all Right. <laughs> except for like weird neighbor way. <laughs> thief. Thief is I before E, isn't it? Yeah, thief is I before E. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. It is. Chapter seven and a half. A sweeping scimitar swung towards Grignir's head in a shadowed blur of motion. With axe raised over his head, Grignir prepared to parry the blow, while gaping wide-eyed in open-mouthed perplexity. Suddenly, a sharp snap resounded behind the frothing shaman. The scimitar, halfway through its fatal sweep, dropped from a quivering nerveless hand, clattering harmlessly to the Stone Age. Cutting his screech short with a bubbling, red-mouthed gurgle, the lacerated acolyte staggered under the pressure of the released springboard. After a moment of hopeless struggling, the shaman buckled, sprawling face down in a widening pool of blood and entrails, his regal purple <laughs> robe blending in handsome. <laughs> God damn it, John, I would have made it through. <laughs> I just love <laughs> His regal purple robe blending enhancingly with the swirling streams of crimson. Mrithk! I thought I had killed the last of those dogs, muttered Grignir in a half-apathetic state. Nay, Grignir, you doubtless grew careless while giving vent to your lusts, but let us not tarry any long lest we overtax the fates. The paths leading to freedom will soon be barred. The wretch's cries must sur surely... This is a sentence. The wretch's cries must surely have attracted unwanted attention, the winch mused. I forgive you, there's no By what quotation. direction... <laughs> By what direction shall we pursue our flight? Up that stair and down the corridor a short distance is the concealed entrance to a su tunnel seldom used by others than the prince, and known to few others save the palace's royalty. It is used mainly by the prince, you said that, when he wishes to take leave of the palace in secret. It is not always in the prince's best interests to leave his chateau in public view. Even while under heavy guard, he is often assaulted by hurling stones and rotting fruits. The commoners have little love for him, lectured the Nair Lady. What? It is amazing that they would ever have left a pig like him become their ruler. I should imagine that his people would rise up and crucify him like the dog he is. Alas, Grignir, it is not as simple as all that. His soldiers are well paid by him. So long as he keeps their wages up, they will carry out his damned wished. The crude implements of the common folk would never stand up under an onslaught of forged blades and protective armor. They would be going to their own slaughter, stated Carthena to a confused but angered Grignir as they topped the stairway. Yet how can they bear to live under such oppression? I would sooner die beneath the sword than live under such a dog's command, added Grignir as the pair stalked down the hall in the direction opposite that in which Grignir <laughs> No way! They're walking the direction they're not walking? I didn't know. I had no idea. Oh, man! But 
but all men are not of the same mold that you are born of. They choose to live as they are so as to save their filthy necks from the chopping block, returned Carthena in a disgusted tone as she cast an appised glance towards the stalwart figure at her side, whose left arm was wound dexterously about her slim waist, his slowly waning torch casting their images in intermingling wisps as it dangled from his left hand. It's difficult to walk like that. Presently... Carthena came upon the panel, concealed amongst the other granite slabs and discernible only by the burned-out cresset above it. As I pushed the cresset aside, pushed the panel inwards, Caterhena motions to the panel she was referring to and twisted the cresset in a counterclockwise What is cresset? I need to stop. It's a crest. It's a crest? It's It's crest. crest. But it's crest. Crest. C-R-E-S-T, not C-R-E-S-S-E-T. <laughs> Grigner braced his right shoulder against the walling, concentrating the force of his bulk against it. The slab gradually swung inward with a slight grating sound. Carthena stooped beneath Grigner's corded arms and crawled upon all fours into the passage beyond. Grigner followed after easing the slab back into place. Winding before the pair was a dark, musty tunnel, exhibiting tangled spiderwebs from it, ceiling to wall, and an oozing, sickly slime running lazily upon its floor. Hanging from the chipped wall upon Grigner's right side was a half-moldered corpse, its gray flacking arms held in place by rusted iron manacles. Carthena flinched back into Grigner's arms at the sight of the leering set in, and ugly, distorted grimace staring horribly at her from hollow, gaping You sockets. get one use of the word flacking in your book. One use. <laughs> zero. <laughs> you get zero uses. <laughs> this alcove must also be used by Agafem as a torture chamber. I wonder how many of his enemies have disappeared into these haunts never to be heard from again, pondered the hulking brute. Let us flee before we are also caught within Agafem's ghastly clutches. The exit from this tunnel cannot be very far from here, said Carthena with a slight sob to her voice, as she sagged into Grignir's encompassing embrace. Aye, it will be best to be finished with this corridor as soon as it is possible. But why do you flinch from the sight of death so? Mrift, who is apparently different from the typical god Mrift that we've seen three times. (laughs) You have seen much death this day without exhibiting such emotions, exclaimed Grignir as he led her trembling form along the dingy confines. The man hanging from the wall was Doyanta. He had committed the folly of showing affections for me in front of Agafim. He never meant any harm by his actions. At this, Carthena broke into a slow, steady whimpering, chalking her voice with gasping sobs. There was never anything between us, yet Agafim did this to him. The beast made the demons of hell's deepest haunts claw away at his wretched flesh for this merciless act, she prayed. I detect that you felt more for this fellow than you wish to let on, but enough of this. We can talk of such matters after we are once more free I to do like so. I feel like she let on a lot. With this Grignir lifted the grieved female to her feet and strode onward toward the corridor, supporting the bulk of her weight with his surging left arm. Presently, a dim light was perceptib- 
deeply filtering into the tunnel, casting a dim reddish hue upon the moldy wall of the passage's grim confines. Carthena had ceased her whimpering and partially regained her composure. The tunnel's end must be nearing. Rays of sunlight are beginning to seep into... Grignir clamed his right hand over Carthena's mouth and with a slight struggle pulled her over to the shadows at the right-hand wall of the path, while at the same time thrusting his torch beneath an overhanging stone to smother its flickering rays. Be silent. I can hear footfalls approaching through the tunnel, growled Grignir in a hushed tone. All that you hear are the horses corralled at the far end of the tunnel. This is a further sign that we are nearing our goal, she stated. All that you hear is less than I hear. I hear footsteps coming towards us. Silence yourself that we may find out whom we are being brought into contact with. I doubt that any would have thought as yet of searching this passage for us. The advantage of surprise will be upon our side, Grignir warned. Carthena cast her eyes downward and ceased any further pursuit towards conversation, an irritating habit in which she had gained an amazing proficiency. What? <laughs> what does oh, that mean? You know, women, women talk. Wait, you know, women, women talk way too much. That's what oh, this is. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely women be what talking? this is. Women be talking too much. <laughs> well, you, you, you gave See, it up. You gave up yeah. the goat. <laughs> and by goat, I mean the bloodlusted wrathful, vengeance-filled goat. Two figures came into the pair's view from around a turn in the tunnel. They were clothed in rich, luxuriant silks and rambling o-on in conversation while ignorant of their crouching foes waiting in an ambush ahead. That barbarian dog! I don't know which character is which, so I won't do that. That barbarian dog is cringing beneath the weight of the lash at this moment, sire. He shall cause no more disturbance. Aye, and so it is with any who dare to cross the path of Sargon's chosen one, said the second man. But the peasants are showing signs of growing unrest. They complain that they cannot feed their families while burdened with your taxes. I shall teach those sluts the meaning of humility. Order an immediate increase upon their taxes. They dare to question my sovereign authority. Ha-ah! They shall soon learn what true oppression can be. I will... <laughs> a shodoed bulk leapt from behind a jutting promontory as it brought down a double-edged axe with the sped of a striking thought. <laughs> One of the nobles sagged lifeless to the ground, skulls split to the teeth. Grignir gasped as he observed the bisected face set in its leering death agonies. It was Agafond, the dead man's comrade having recovered from his... I thought Agafond was dead. Yeah, me too. Agafond is dead. The dead man's comrade having recovered from his shock drew a jewel-encrusted dagger from beneath the folds of his robe and lunged toward the barbarian's back. Grignir spun at the sound from behind and smashed down his crimsoned axe once more. His antagonist lunged howling to a stream of stagnant green water, grasping a spouting stump that had once been a wrist. Grignir raised his axe over his head and prepared to finish the incomplete job, but was deterred halfway through his lunge by a frenzied screech from behind. 
Carthena leapt to the head of the writhing figure, plunging a smoldering, smoldering torch into the agonized face. The howls increased in their horrid intensity, stifled by the sizzling of roasting flesh. Tasty. Then died down until the man was reduced mm. to a blubbering mass of squirming, insensate flesh. Flesh two times in one sentence. Tasty. Grignir advanced to Carthena's side, wincing slightly from the putrid aroma of charred flesh that rose in a puff of thick white smog throughout the chamber. Flesh. Flesh, flesh. <laughs> Carthena reeled slightly, staring dacedly downward at her gruesome handiwork. I had to do it. It was Agafim. I had to, she exclaimed. Sargon should be more careful of his right-hand men, added Grignir, a smug grin upon his lips. But to hell with Sargon for now. The stench is becoming bothersome to me. With that, Grignir grasped Carthena around the waist, leading her around the bend in the cave and into the open. A ball of feral red was rising through the mists of the eastern horizon, dissipating the slinking shadows of the night. A, corral, a coral stood before the pair, enclosing two grazing mares. Grignir reached into a weighted down leather pouch dangling at his side and drew forth the scintillant red emerald he had obtained from the bloated idol. Raising it toward the sun, he said, We shall do well with bobble, eh? <laughs> Carthena gaped at the gem, gasping in a terrified manner. The Eye of Argon! Oh! Kala! At this, the gem gave off a blinding glow, then dribbled through Grignir's fingers in a slimy red ooze. Grignir stepped back, pushing Carthena behind him. The droplets of slime slowly converged into a pulsating jelly-like mass. A single opening transfixed the blob, formant into a leech-like maw. Then the hideous transgressor of nature flowed towards Grignir, a trail of greenish slime lingering behind it. The single gap puckered repeatedly, emitting a ghastly sucking sound. Grignir spread his legs into a battle stance, stealing his quivering thews for a battle royal with a thing he knew not how to fight. Carthena wound her arms about her protector's neck, mumbling, Kill it! Kill! While her entire body trembled. I'm just... You're so close. Keep going. The thing was almost upon Grignir when he buried his axe into the grisly maw. It's a blob. It, it passed through the blob and clanged upon the ground. Grignir drew his axe back with a film of yellow-green slime clinging to the blade. The thing was seemingly unaffected. Then it started to saluze up his leg. Up his leg. The hairs upon his nape <laughs> stewed on end from the slimy feel of the thing's bully bulk. The nautus sucking sound became louder, and Grignir felt the blood being drawn from his body. With each hiss of hideous pucker, the thing increased in size. Grignir shook his foot about madly in an attempt to dislodge the blob, but it clung like a leech, still feeding upon his rapidly draining life fluid. 
He grasped with his hands, trying to rip it off, but only found his hands entangled in a sickly glue-like substance. The slimy thing continued its puckering, now having grown the size of Grignir's leg from its vampiric feast. Grignir began to reel and stagger upon under the blob, his chalk-white face and faltering muscles attesting to the gigantic loss of blood. Carthena slipped from Grignir in a death-like faint, a morrow chilling scream upon her red rubish lips. In final desperation, Grignir grasped the smoldering torch upon the ground and plunged it into the reeking maw of the travis tree. A shudder passed through the thing. Grignir felt the blackness closing upon his eyes, but held on with the last ebb of his rapidly waning vitality. He could feel its grip lessening as a hideous gurgling sound erupted from the writhing maw. Ma 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 ma. The jelly-like mass began to bubble like a vat of boiling tar as quivers passed up and down its entire form. The Lost Ending With a sloshing plop, the thing fell to the ground, evaporating in a thick scarlet cloud until it reattained its original size. It remained thus for a moment, as the puckered maw took the shape of a protruding red eyeball, the pupil of which seemed to unravel before it the tale of creation. How a shapeless mass slithered from the quagmires of the stigmatic pool of time, only to degenerate into a leprosy of avaricious lust. Not a In that fleeting moment, the grim mystery of life was revealed before Grignir's ensnared gaze. The eyeball's glare turned to a sudden plea of mercy, a plea for the whole of humanity. What? Then the blob began to quiver with violent convulsions. The eyeball shattered into a thousand tiny fragments and evaporated in a curling wisp of scarlet mist. The very ground below the thing began to vibrate and swallow it up with a belch. The thing was gone forever. All that remained was a dark red blotch upon the face of the earth. <laughs> Shaking his head, his shaggy mane to clear the jumbled fragments of his mind, Grignir tossed the limp female over his shoulder. Mounting one of the disgruntled mares and leading the other, the weary, scarred barbarian trotted slowly off into the horizon to become a tiny pinpoint in a filtered file of swirling blue mists, leaving the nobles, soldiers, and peasants to replace the missing monarch. Long live the Long king. Long leave the king! Long leave the king. You're right, I <laughs> fucked it up right there at the end. Um, so, that happened. I thought Grigadier was dead! It sucked out so much blood that it was the size of his leg. Like, his whole leg? Yeah. That's more than blood you have in your body. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. And Agafin uh, definitely died in chapter two. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I I went and looked up at that. It was it was chapter one even. I it's think it's chapter two. No, no, it's chapter two. It's chapter two. Um, yes. Uh, the Agafin leaped Grigner and his sire, but found a sword blade permeating the length of his ribs before he could loose his weapon. The counselor slumped to his knees as Grignir slid his crimsoned blade from Agafin's ribcage. 
Yeah. He definitely yeah, died. He 100% did die. And, and then, then he was, he was back. back. Because this must have been written in like a single day. Like in a three hour block, Jim Tice wrote this out and then submitted it to some fucking fanzine, which decided to publish it. Yeah. Like, no proofreading needed. Just throw it out there. Throw it into the world. I'm 16. Who gives a fuck? She queried bustily. No, she queried bustily. bustily? Husked the femme. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if there were any mistakes in it, trust me. They weren't ours. Uh, the mistakes were actually mostly John reading things correctly that should have been read incorrectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, we, we read this as is. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I know it was a little bit of a weird one for this week, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back to your regular scheduled glowing weak point next week whatever that is a whole chapter dedicated to killing a rat hey uh if you liked this uh please share it with someone who uh died and came back kills rats (laughs) share this with someone in your life who died and then showed up two days later walking around just fine or, or someone who looks like a barbarian. Fabio. Mmm, <laughs> Fabio. Fabio. Yeah. See you Bye. next time.